ಪಾಂಜಲೀರಾನಸ್ಮಿ ಐ ಪ್ರಾಸ್ಟ್ರೇಟ್ ವಿತ್ ಫೋಲ್ಡೆಡ್ ಹ್ಯಾಂಡ್ಸ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ಪತಂಜಲಿ who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class we were studying the 12th 13th and the 14th sutra of the second chapter of the patanjali yoga sutra and as we have seen those are the sutras which deals with the process of transmigration in yoga in vedanta we find that the cause of rebirth is not our karma the actions don't bind us it is the desire for the results of the actions as has been spoken of in the vedanta or it is the afflictions with which our actions are associated that causes the bondage that is the reason for our rebirth so actions may go on but if it is non afflictive if i am always aware of the fact that i am the conscious principle i am the purusha i am the eternal witness everything else is a flow i am just the observer of the flow i am not in the stream i am just out of the stream observing the stream and then the actions can go on that won't bind us it's a very interesting thing we will find that almost the opposite poles look alike when we say that to do actions without any afflictions without that afflictive uh, modalities if i am just doing my actions that is not going to bind us if the emotive faculty is not involved in our actions then the actions are not going to bind us then what what about the psychological conditions called psychopath a psychopath has a very peculiar psychological condition what is that suddenly they may feel that the things which they are seeing is not something which is related to him or her there is no relation when suddenly this problem arise that example we gave earlier that one uh, one day morning one may get up see his mother or her mother and suddenly he may say that you look like my mother but you are not my mother and the mother gets puzzled takes him to the doctor and what they will say is a very interesting thing what select 
Am I audible? No, Milton. And it's not really correct. Excuse me. Am I audible? Yes, Swamiji. You are. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that someone is speaking something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. So. So uh, that emotive, that what happens, you know, that's very interesting, the way we are perceiving, as we have already just discussed it previously, our perceptions are all piecemeal perceptions. The sense of reality which we have is actually the working of the mind. The mind perceives everything as a piecemeal perception, individually, segregated, separate, and then in the mind, the uh, what you say, the synthesis happens. To give an example, when I'm seeing the red flower, the redness is perceived in one center. The fragrance is perceived in some other center. The form of the flower is again perceived in some other center. And all these perceptions, these are the piecemeal perceptions. These piecemeal perceptions actually are the tanmatras tat matra, only that. How they become bhuta? Now when they congregate, this all this piecemeal perception is actually synthesized by the mind to give a sense of whole, wholeness. It's not only the perceptions. When I'm perceiving something, along with that, there is a perception of the emotion. That when I see my mother, Apart from the form, apart from the figure of the mother, the, my emotion faculty also, there's a center in my mind, there's a mind perception center where the emotion faculty also is actually activated. And that emotion also gets synthesized with all other perceptions. And that gives the sensation that this is my mother, that emotive faculty gets synthesized. If somehow it happens because of some mental aberration, that the emotive faculty doesn't get synthesized, it doesn't get activated and doesn't get synthesized with the perception, then the perception happens. But as the emotive faculty is not linked with it, you may feel that, yes, I'm seeing they look alike, but as the emotive faculty is not involved there, you may suddenly feel it's not mine. The sense of mamatwa, that my belongingness comes when the emotive faculty also gets synthesized with the perceptual, all the modalities. It's a very interesting thing that for a psychopath also it happens that somehow the emotive faculty gets separated, segregated. Then is a psychopath a spiritual person? No, that's the thing. We will study in the fourth chapter that sometimes the something the same similar to the spiritual evolution happens because of some drugs. We know that there in drugs can give you that wonderful feeling that people you will find that you will find in the in the present day you will find it has created a huge uproar in the Indian media that those who are the performing artists among them a huge population has the tendency to resort to drugs. 
Now, you know, it's a very, uh, it's not something that just they, to be a drug addict, they become a drug addict. This to perform in front of the audience, to always meet the challenge, the expectation of the audience, it's a matter of huge tension. It's a, it creates a type of stage fright. It's because of the necessity to get rid of that stage fright, they resort to the drugs because drug also has that capacity to separate your emotive faculty from your perceptions. And then suddenly you find very relaxed. And that's why people take to the high of the drugs. Then are they spiritually evolved? No, that's the thing. Very interesting. You will find in the 60s with the hippie movement, along with the religious uh, there's, uh, there's reformation, that religious upheaval, the idea came that the drugs can give alter your consciousness. And that is something to do with the spirituality. You'll find long back, 5,000 years back, in the Yoga Sutra, in the fourth chapter, the first sutra, itself speaks that these are the things, the drugs, some defects, abnormalities during the time of birth may give you a sensation of, it, of altered consciousness. But they are in no way going to evolve you spiritually. The fourth sutra of the same chapter, we will come much later. That this tatra dhyanajam anashayam. The only when it comes to that conscious meditation, that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses, I'm the conscious principle. With this type of contemplation, when you detach, then alone it is going to help you to evolve spiritually. Other things for the time being may give you a type of high or may give you a sense of a bliss, but they are not in any way going to evolve you spiritually to take you to the liberation. So in the, when we were studying the 12th Sutra, that's the thing that unless we can get rid of the kleshas through that viveka khyati by the constant contemplation of the fact that I am not the body. This is viveka, this is discrimination. I'm not the body, not the mind, not the senses, not the feelings, not the emotions. I'm the one who is the eternal witness behind that, the purusha. It is the viveka khyati. Khyati means knowledge, viveka means discrimination, discriminative knowledge. Through this when that detachment comes, then only it is going to evolve you spiritually. That's why Swami Vivekananda in many places have indicated that opposite poles look alike. Just the way the high intensity sound, I cannot hear. The low intensity sound also, I cannot hear. Means the sound which is below 20 hertz, I cannot hear. The sound which is beyond 20,000 hertz, I cannot hear. Subsonic, supersonic, I cannot hear. But are the same? One is of very low frequency, another is of intense high frequency. Same with the light, very low frequency light, the red, infrared light, I cannot see. And again, the ultraviolet light, it burns me, it is so intense, it causes skin cancer. If the heat which we perceive in the summer is not because of the light which you see, it is a light which you don't see, the ultraviolet light which pierces through your skin and burns your skin, creates skin cancer. But I cannot see that. 
the opposite poles look alike. Apparently they look alike, but there is pole apart, they're just apart. So here also, when all these, uh, what you say that non-afflictive uh, modalities gets activated because of some abnormalities in your mind or because of some drugs, this may appear as something like a detachment, but this is not going to help you spiritually. It actually is binding you more and more because it makes you addicted to that temporal bliss and you are getting bound by that. It is not going to liberate you. The liberation comes by that conscious deliberate thought, conscious deliberate contemplation on the idea that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses. Till then, as long as we are not trying to get rid of the afflictions, then all the actions, all the thoughts with which the afflictions are tagged up. What are the afflictions? Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. You will find behind all our thoughts, our actions, not all, majority of our thoughts and actions are linked with either attachment or hatred or fear. And that fear at last boils down to the fear of death. All our actions and deviations you will find are related to these three things. And when we are doing the actions by being guided by this, being forced by this, being motivated by these three emotive faculties with this type of feelings, that actions immediately is not lost. They go deep into the subconscious mind and remains there stored as the samskar, as the latent impressions. And these latent impressions, the huge store of the latent impressions at last gets stored as vasanas. Samskaras are something visible. I know, I understand that, yes, when I, once I tested there's some delicacy, next time it comes as a memory and I understand, yes, it is there as samskara in my mind. But what is vasana? What is the difference between samskara and vasana? There are so many other desires of which I am not aware. They are there in my subconscious mind. Most probably there is no favorable circumstances for them to sprout, but they are there. They are never lost. They are all there in my subconscious mind as vasanas. So all the afflictive actions, all the afflictive thoughts has two aspects. In the individual aspect, it gets stored as first as samskara, then as vasanas. And it has a collective aspect, a cosmic aspect. What is that? It creates an environment. My actions will be creating an environment where I will be gravitated. So, and I will get the favorable circumstances to fulfill those desires. That is the idea of karmashaya. Ashaya means receptacle. So you're creating, your karma is creating the receptacle in which your sanskaras, your vasanas will be fructified. And very interesting, as per your birth, as per your species in which you are born, only those vasanas which are suitable for that birth, they will fructify. Others, you may not be aware of them. They are there hidden in your subconscious mind. 
most probably in future again when i will get a birth for which those hidden vasanas are favorable they will find expression so that actually shows us what that there are innumerable desires in our mind which is binding us and that was indicated in the 12th sutra that klesha mula as long as the klesha the afflictions are there in the root of your actions in the root of your thoughts it is bound to create that receptacle where you will be gravitated your desires will just gravitate you to that environment so that all those desires are fulfilled that may happen in this birth itself if your desire is very strong in this birth itself your desire will is bound to be fulfilled that's the law of the nature if you have a desire know it for certain that if i have some desire in my mind and i just physically separate myself from the society and go into a forest and just try to detach myself from all the desires and lead a life of a recluse know it for certain within a short time the entire forest will be cleared off and you will have a huge palace and huge city there to to just fructify your desires you can never get rid of them the desires will gravitate you to the environment today or tomorrow in this birth or in next birth and where it gets the chance for fulfillment so that was indicated in the 12th sutra and in the 13th sutra as we have already uh, in the last class we gave the hint the same thing that sati mule as long as these kleshas are there they fructify tat vipake what happens in such a way what the, I, the desires which are predominant based on that you are going to have birth in a particular species again in the next birth jati the ayu your life span will be decided as per your desires which has already started fructifying and your ayu your life span and bhoga that all the happiness and the misery that you will be growing through the life this bhoga experiences that will be decided as long as these kleshas are there in the root of your actions so so what's the thing says because te lad the 14 sutra te lad paritapa phala punya apunya hetutvat so lad means pleasurable paritapa means painful so so because of the apunya and apunya that the bhoga which has been spoken of that experiences that experiences depends on what the punya and apunya the all the virtue and vice all the virtuous deeds and the vicious deeds virtuous thoughts vicious thoughts which i have in my life they decide that what all experiences i will be going through they may be lada they may be pleasurable or paritapa they may be full of pain they may be painful so that's how the yoga sutra does defines the the explains the process of transmigration now today we will again take up from the 15th 16th and the 17th sutra of the second chapter to discuss how that how yoga sutra defines misery and its cause that we have understood that the as long as the kleshas are there there will be rebirth 
transmigration will continue. And along with the transmigration, suffering also is bound to be there. As long as we are bound to be born in this physical plane, suffering is something which we cannot avoid. Why? That even the so-called apparent pleasures of life at last is bound to end up in misery. So that will be discussed in the next three sutras. That what's the cause of the misery? What's the, misery, what's the type of misery? And what is, what's the nature of misery? And what is its cause? So we will now share the screen to just discuss on those sutras. The 15th Sutra, it uh, describes the misery which results from all our thoughts and actions which are afflictive. So what's the misery? Parinama, Tapa, Samskara, Dukkhai, Gunavritti Virodhatcha, Dukkham, Evam, Sarvam, Vivekina. That what I think to be pleasurable the one who is viveki, one who is discriminating, he just considers them to be miserable. All the so-called apparent pleasures of life is considered as dukkha, is going to bring us pain, is going to bring us pain. Who thinks that? The viveki. The vivekina, for vivekina, everything is dukkha. So what's the meaning of the sutra? To the discriminating, it is the vivekina. All is the sarvam, everything as it were, is painful, dukkham, on account of four things. The four reasons has been given in this sutra. First is parinama, which means either as consequence, that what appears to be apparently uh, pleasurable actually is going to end up in misery, that's parinama, as anticipation of loss of happiness. Even when you are enjoying, even when you are enjoying, you may not think of the consequence. You may say, I am quite happy with the present, but you will find even when you are enjoying the life, constant concern is there. That any time the factors which has resulted in the happiness may not be there. And I may again be in abject misery till I get the things which are favorable for my happiness, the concern is there, I may not get it. And once I get it, again, the fear of losing is always there. It is the same with the money, it is the same with the relations. As long as I don't have a good job, I don't have good salary, I'm concerned, I may not get it. And when I'm already having, then the many may think that as if I'm enjoying the life, you will find that no, the constant that fear is there anytime I may lose it. So that has been spoken of as tapa, as a fresh craving arising from impressions of happiness. And there is no satiation that every time I think that, uh, that what you say that uh, by enjoying something, I'm going to get satiated, you will find no, again it comes back, the craving comes back. And guna vritti virodha, 
is because of misapprehension. Misapprehension means guna vritti. Guna means the real nature of the thing and vritti means vritti, the thought waves gives us the knowledge. So vritti speaks of the knowledge, the apparent knowledge which we find when we're enjoying the things is actually not so. So there is a conflict between the real nature of the thing and the apparent, the misapprehensive knowledge which I'm having of it. So there's a constant conflict of that. So we will come to the discussion of it in a bit more details. Now, very interesting though, who is a Viveki? Now you may say Viveki is a pessimist that who doesn't know to enjoy the life is too bothered about the misery of life. And even in the happiness, he's searching uh, uh, misery. Actually, it is not so. But actually, it is speaking of, it's actually speaking of sensitivity. It's not, uh, uh, what, what we say, it is not speaking of pessimistic attitude. It speaks of sensitivity. In our scriptures, in Bhagavata, a very nice example has been given. Suppose a sand particle is, has fallen on your skin. You will never notice it. But the same particle, if, it, if, the, if the same sand particle falls on your eyeball, immediately you will find there's an irritation. So that's what the Bhagavatam is saying is the sensitivity of a Viveki. His sensitivity is just like the sensitivity of the eyeball. The same irritant which falls on the skin, I may not find it irritating, but the same thing when it falls on the eyeball, immediately I find it's very irritating. So the Viveki, his sensitivity has increased. It's not that he's a pessimist. His sensitivity has increased, which, which has enabled him or her to be foresighted. What apparently appears to be pleasurable to him or her, it appears to be painful because he or she knows very well that at last all the happiness is going to end in misery. So that's the sensitivity. So as we grow more and more pure, spiritual life speaks of purity and that purity is not actually innocence. It is the maturity which we get through our experiences of life. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the camel eats thorny bush, it bleeds, but it continues to feed on the thorny bush. What it doesn't learn. So Ramakrishna by giving that, by saying that is actually trying to indicate that our condition is also like that camel. The life is constantly giving us misery, but from the experiences we never learn. We go on continuing the same mistakes again and again, life after life. Very interesting that Swami Sharadananda was asked after a uh, lecture session. It was his first lecture session. After that, there was a question answer session. In the first question answer session, the after the lecture, Swami Sharadananda was asked, what is life? And we'll find a, what a wonderful answer he's giving. A universal answer. You can find no answer better than that. Immediately in one sentence, he gave a wonderful answer. Life is nothing but a chain of experiences. 
Can you deny it? Constantly we find that one after the other experience is happening in our life. It's a chain of experiences. It may be pleasurable, it may be painful, but it's going on and on. The one who questioned found the answer to be wonderful, but immediately he counter questioned, again put another question. Then what is the aim of life? Just to go through this unending experiences. What's the aim of life? What's the purpose of life? Again, in one sentence, Shardarandaji is giving a very nice answer to learn from those experiences. We never learn. Once we learn, we become sensitive. We won't go on continuing the same mistake again and again. We will learn that all these so-called apparent pleasures of life is ultimately going to give us misery, is going to give us unhappiness. We'll find a wonderful example in the life of Sri Ramakrishna to understand that who is a Viveki. From the, has a, such a foresightedness that gives the sensitivity that at the very beginning itself, they get uh, aware of the fact that I shouldn't proceed. It is going to end up in misery. In the life of Ramakrishna, now Ramakrishna has already taken the vows of sannyasa. He was a renunciate. Now, as per the samskara is concerned, that, that, that he had to go through the marriage. It has some divine purpose. But at the same time, though that samskara, the marriage samskara, uh, he had to go through, but he was a true sannyasin. So the question of leading a family life never arise. So now when Ramakrishna used to come back to Kamarpukur every year for two to three months in the rainy season, the Chatur, Chaturmas, when you know the Ganges river becomes too muddy and that's the water uh, everyone is to drink and that's the time everyone gets sick. So that's the time Ramakrishna used to come back to Kamarpukur from Dakshineshwar. And Holy Mother, that was a child marriage, you know that she was just growing up. She has just attained her puberty. That's the time. When Ramakrishna used to come from, from Dakshineshwar to Kamarpukur, Holy Mother used to come from Jairambati to Kamarpukur to serve the master. And there was a wonderful relation. The how they were husband wife, but it actually it was a relation of a guru and shishya. Ramakrishna throughout the day, playfully, will be actually advising her, instructing her in all the things which has to do with the spirituality. And now we'll find that how playfully he instructs. One day, the Holy Mother, the young one, the young Holy Mother, she was just a teenager at that time. She was brooming the courtyard and Ramakrishna was sitting in a corner of the courtyard. And just as he used to do, as was his nature, playfully instruct. Suddenly, Ramakrishna, to bring home the transience, transient nature of life, started playfully saying something to Holy Mother. Holy Mother with a huge, you know, in the olden days, the traditional, you know, that the wife will have a, a huge well. So she was totally well and was brooming. Her face couldn't be seen. But Ramakrishna knew that she is hearing. So she started, he started saying, 
that see how life is transient that you most probably have the first child and it just grows it has grown so that after 6 months you are going to give him the first rice in the rice giving ceremony in the old days you know the pandemic like malaria cholera was something rampant so ramakrishna in those days as he was aware of all those diseases which used to just engulf village after village so he he started say that after 6 months when that when you are about to give, have the first rice giving ceremony and you are so happy you adorn yourself with the most beautiful sari with ornaments you have invited the guests you are enjoying and suddenly you find the child has fallen sick and then it is found that he is having cholera and within 2 days he passes away the child passes away and you just remove all your ornaments you uh, just uh, take away your costly clothings and you are in total abject misery you are crying and then again most probably after a year or two another child is born and this child is dies of malaria again the same fate again you were about to enjoy and you were in abject misery that's the nature of the life ramakrishna was just playfully just saying that one child is born it dies you are happy and again you are in misery and now suddenly from behind the veil in a very feeble voice the teenager holy mother remarked what she remarked will all of them die just see it's a very very innocent statement as such as per we are concerned it's a very innocent statement but what is that viveki that the sensitivity has become just like a sand particle falling on the eyeball ramakrishna immediately jumped up no more joke no more fun he jumped up from his seat and what he remarked is oh it seems i have stamped on the tail of a venomous venomous snake of a very venomous snake why and holy mother was so embarrassed she immediately ran inside the house now this is that maturity through experience what's the thing the moment ramakrishna heard will all of them die immediately he understood that to have a biological child the desire is there in her mind and as she is the wife of his as she is his wife naturally it speaks of a biological relation which he can never have because he has already taken sannyasa and that's why that immediate awareness he jumps from the seat no more fun mother runs inside and he says what he's saying oh it seems i have stamped on the tail of a venomous snake of a venomous snake so now you will understand that this is the sensitivity which has been spoken of as the real sign of purity the price of purity is vigilance how vigilant you are your past experiences have taught you that again and again we go through the abject misery because of the same 
ways of life. I have to be apart from it. And when that tremendous vigilance is there, then only it is possible to really get rid of the misery. And now you will understand that what has been spoken of in this sutra. That the one who is vigilant, even when he is in a very pleasurable situation in life, he's always aware of the fact that what is given, what nature has given me, one day nature is going to take away everything. When I am young, totally, what you say that bubbling with all my youth, fullness, got a good job, good salary. We never think that after a certain age, my, this youthfulness is gone. I am bound to retire. Old age will come. All the importance which I am getting as if I am the hero of, as the center of the society of life. I will find I have been already sidelined. It's a fact of life. The nature gives us in bounty and it again takes away everything. Is that nature never is going to just continue with the things which we has already given you. It will be taken away. So nothing that all that the more intensely you enjoy life, know it for certain, as those conditions will is bound to disintegrate you are again going to be in abject misery. The stronger the bond is, the stronger the misery. Then what's the way out? Is Yoga Sutra speaking of totally, physically, totally getting dissociated physically from all the so-called uh, dealings of life? No, it, is, it speaks more of the awareness than real physical distancing. What actually it speaks of? That renunciation actually is in the mind. We did not have to be, uh, we did not have to totally get rid of our responsibilities. As per our responsibilities, we may be placed in a particular situation of life. We may have to continue with the actions, but the detachment is in the mind. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, a, the maid servant, the maid servant works for the landlord and just goes on saying, it's my house, the landlord's house is my house. Landlord's child as my child. She says that, but from the bottom of her heart, she knows that that is not her house, that this child, these children are not her, her children. She knows from the bottom of the heart. So that's how, that very, there's a nice way of saying it. So that's, there's this, that is saying in Bengali, what that shadhu hobe shadhu shajbena grihastho shajbe grihastho hobena when you should feign as a householder never become a householder and you should become a holy person never feign to be a holy person very interesting we just do the opposite we are e extremely engrossed as a householder and we feign to be a holy person. How nicely it has been told, just opposite we have to do. Don't feign as a holy person. People, let the people think that you are extremely involved in everything, but know from the bottom of your heart that everything is will pass off. 
I am just as per my responsibilities, I'm taking care of the, all the duties which I have to do, but nothing, uh, the thing which I am involved with, I own any of them. They're all going to pass off in time. Then how should I do the action? That as you know, that we give an example of a child going to the childcare center to understand the real sense of renunciation. That how that renunciation finds expression in our life. The child going to the childcare center for the first time, the first day when he is taken to the childcare center, you will find the child is crying. Why? Because he finds himself to be totally unplugged. The security zone, his home, the backyard of his home. He has been taken away from there in a total new environment where he cannot relate. The child is placed there. And he cries when the parent comes to drop him. For a few days, the crying goes on. After some time, the crying continues, but not when the father is or the parent is dropping the child. Now the child cries when parent comes to take him away because now the child has developed friends and he's enjoying the game, the uh, relation with all the so-called other children. Doesn't want to leave the play, doesn't want to leave the game. That's why now the crying continues, but it is at the time when the parent comes to take him away. Still a few more days pass by and now the parent finds the child is no more crying. Neither at the time when the parent comes to drop him, nor when, to come, when they come to take him away. What has happened? Now the renunciation has ensued. What's the renunciation? The child have understood that this childcare center is a temporary place. It's not something permanent. Every day morning, my father will drop me here. Evening, he will take me back home. My parents' place is my real place. This is a temporary place. But that doesn't mean as it's a temporary place, the child won't play with other children. That the child will be sitting in a corner waiting for the parent to come in the evening and take him away. That as it is a not permanent place, why should I get related with others? No, you'll find the child is enjoying. The, the moment that sense of impermanence come, it doesn't mean that you have separated yourself physically, is enjoying. But the sense of that impermanence doesn't make him unhappy, neither when he's dropped nor when he's taken away. So that's the thing. That's, that's the real idea of that awareness about the parinama. You are involved with the life, but constant awareness is there that it is just the kindergarten. It's just the childcare center where I'm going to spend some time that much. And as long as I'm there, I'm totally involved in it. But there is no sense of misery as I know it is not something which is permanent. It is going to change. This situation is going to change. So that's the idea of Parinama, which has been spoken of as the first factor. That as everything undergoes the change, so always be aware of the fact that all the things which nature has given you in bounty is going, going to be taken away. And then, then there is no question of misery. Our misery happens just because we try to hold on to the things which we cannot continue with. It's just like a monkey. You know how the monkeys get caught? 
to catch a monkey the easiest way is in a pitcher in a pitcher with which has a bottle neck that this neck is the you know the neck of a bottle is uh, very narrow the body is uh, something very spacious but the neck is this very narrow in such a pitcher with a bottle neck in such it is a transparent you place some salt rock salt inside that pitcher now the monkeys really i mean enjoy this rock salt now to get it it puts its hand inside the pitcher it's actually there is a, a video on the this uh, national geography channel there's a video on it that how the monkeys got captivated that puts the hand inside the pitcher grabs the salt that block of salt and now tries to bring it out and now it finds its hand has got caught why now because it is holding when he has in, the, when the limbs were when the hand was put in it the it was not grabbing anything that all the fingers were free it just went inside now as it is grabbing something it cannot pull out it tries hard it cannot pull out it never uh what you say that it never dawns in his mind that let me release the hold i can just get rid i can come out of this bondage it wants to get the thing and goes on trying and that's how it gets bound bounded and we think it's the monkey which doesn't have that intelligence are our condition any different from that we are also doing the same thing that we have got hold of something we don't want to give away and that's the cause of our bondage that's the cause of our misery and that's what has been trying to been explained by the term parinama but we aware of it when the time comes have the capacity to leave the hold otherwise you are caught the next is the tapa what is tapa that as we told that in the, as a human being constant our endeavor is for yoga and kshema here the yoga doesn't mean in the spiritual sense yoga means to get united with your desired object it may be some worldly goal that i want to get established in life i want to have a good job i want to get married all those are your goals so yoga means union with that as long as you don't have the union you're trying endeavoring that is the yoga and once you have attained that to preserve is the kshema to get your desired object is the yoga and to protect it is kshema to preserve it is kshema so throughout our life our endeavor is for yoga and kshema various yoga kshemas are going on for the various objectives the yoga and kshema and you will find what is the tapa constant that anguish is there as long as i have not attained any my desire my desired goal there's a constant anguish that i may not get it that uh, luck may not favor me i may not be, be destined for all the desires which i have i may miss out so that constant anguish is there and once you get it that anguish is not got again that anguish is there i may lose it the richest man is 
in the world is not happy, doesn't get sleep because of constant fear that I may lose my wealth, I may lose my power. This constantly goes on. So this anguish of yoga kshema has been indicated by tapa. So I can never enjoy anything with total free mind. I'm always careworn. I can never be carefree. And that has been indicated by tapa. So these are the reasons for which everything is ultimately miserable. Next is samskar. That when a craving has developed, I feel once I fulfill it, I will be satiated. But what has happened, we will find that constantly that the more and more we enjoy, the more our desire is as if getting inflamed. It is increasing. Just like pouring some clarified butter, heat in the fire. The more you pour, the more the fire flares up. It never gets satiated. That's why the fire is called anala. Anala means unalam, analam. An is used in the sense of negation. In Sanskrit, alam is a pratyay, which means satiation. The thing which is never satiated is analam. Why fire is called analam? It's never satiated. The more you pour oblations, the more it gets flared up. So desires are like that. The samskara, the ones you enjoy, immediately as a latent impression, it gets grooved in your mind. And that because of that groove, again the desire, whenever it gets favorable circumstances, it comes back as memory. Again you enjoy, the groove becomes more deepened. The intense, the desire for, the craving for the thing gets intensified. It never gets satiated. So like a bee, we came to enjoy honey. We, like if we want to sip honey, we sit on the honey and we are sipping the honey and we think, oh, it's such enjoyable thing. And now after some time, I try to fly off and I find I cannot. My wings have got stuck in the honey. And that's what happens with all our desires. And that's how at last it ends up in misery. So the third cause is samskara. Parinama, tapa, samskara. So like a bee, we want to sip honey and our wings get glued to the honey. The last is the guna vritti virodha. So what is this guna vritti virodha? Now vritti as we told, vritti results in khyati, jnana. That whenever this your these waves are there in your mind, mental thought waves, modulations. Whatever gets reflected, that is your knowledge. When I'm seeing the flower, the waves of my mind is reflecting that flower and immediately I get the knowledge of the flower. So the vritti actually is fixed of jnana. The vritti results in knowledge. As long as the vrittis are there, constantly we are getting knowledge. But that knowledge pertaining to all the apparent pleasures of life contradicts the guna or the real nature of pleasure. I can never get the real pleasure. I think that this is going to give me pleasure. But the nature of the thing is such that my knowledge is actually deceiving me. It is not going to give me pleasure. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, that it is like ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of the shore. 
as we have discussed previously that what's the nature of so called happiness the nature gives us happiness to use it as a tool to do us something by which it is sustained we are actually the victim of nature you'll find that how the nature how the happiness works that when the moment your desire is fulfilled you reach the peak and ecstasy but the next moment it evaporates it's not going to continue whether it is food whether it is any other desire the moment you get it you go to the peak of ecstasy it evaporates next time you will find our memory is so selective i always remember the peak i forget the evaporation that's why our past is always so golden you know our past is always golden because the mind is constantly deceiving us in our life always we had the mixture of happiness and misery but as we go on aging and look at the past our mind our memory has filtered off all the conflicts which have gone through only the happy things that is the thing which you remember and that's why past is always golden that's the way the mind is deceiving us so when you are remembering something it always appears to be so good because you always remember the ecstasy you forget the evaporation why it is happening because the nature wants to do the thing again and again by that it is sustained you will find there is more happiness in anticipation than in the act itself again the same thing once you anticipate something the nature immediately gives you joy because that will motivate you to do something and when you're doing it you find you are in a plateau because the nature's work is already done through the anticipation it has already motivated you through happiness to do the thing so when you're doing it what's the use the nature's purpose has already been uh, served it is not going to give you happiness so happiness actually is a tool of nature so the anything if you just see actually is not going to give us happiness so constant the dissatisfaction is there ever running never reaching not a distant glimpse of shore uh, just uh, you know that mick jagger many of you have heard of the rolling stones when he is was he sings that i can get no satisfaction i try and try and try again there's a song so he even he himself doesn't know that he's actually speaking of the buddhist philosophy what is that philosophy of dukkha dukkha doesn't mean the that first noble truth of the buddhism it doesn't mean suffering it means dissatisfaction both are not same you may say both are same both are not same just to give an example when you are enjoying a delicacy if i ask you are you suffering you will say no of course not but are you satisfied immediately a big question mark will be there in your own mind you find you are not satisfied because when you are enjoying the delicacy already you have developed to have a second serving so you are not satisfied so dissatisfaction and suffering are not the same so if you translate dukkha as suffering it will be a wrong translation the real translation is dissatisfaction so this gunavritta viroza speaks of this dissatisfaction ever running never reaching not a distance glimpse of shore that has been spoken of as we have seen that in the vairagya shatakam it has been spoken of najatu kama kamanam upabhoge na shamyati havisha krishna vartmeva 
bhuya eva avivartate just the way you go on offering oblations to the fire the fire is never satiated similar is our desire but because of the gunavritti virodha because of our misapprehension we never realize that and that's how even the so called happinesses of life is at last going to end up in abject misery so what's the way out hem dukham anagatam so the pain which the all the experiences which has already started taking action the prarabdha i have no hand over it but i don't create new uh, afflictive samskaras over that i have the hand what i'm doing at present i have hand i have control over that all the actions which has resulted in my birth those experiences i will go through so that's why in the 16th sutra they speak of heyam dukham anagatam pain which is yet to come is to be discarded this actually speaks of this three types of karma sanchita prarabdha kriyamana and with the help of some example we will try to understand what they are we will take up this sutra again in the next class to understand that what it is speaking of that heyam heyam actually means the thing which is not very good which is heyam means which is something very bad something which is not going to give me happiness so heyam means pain heyam means suffering so all the dukha which is yet to come i have to discard them how it can be done that will be spoken of in this commentary of the sutra which again we will take up in the next class with this we stop our discussion today namaskar swami ji good night good night namaskar namaskar pranam swami ji hi namaskar pranam swami ji namaskar